Welcome to this Institute of Ideas podcast, The Battle Over Geek Culture, a debate recorded at the Battle of Ideas Festival at the Barbican in London. The chair is David Bowden. It's kind of interesting with this session. I think everyone kind of hits a sort of certain point as they, uh, as they get a little bit older and they like to think of themselves as young and then they realise they don't really understand what's going on in youth culture at the moment. And for me, that moment arrived very clearly about this time last year when my timeline on social media started exploding with people having a discussion over something called Gamergate, which seemed to me this impossibly vicious, heated discussion about, what, about things that I couldn't really kind of get a, get a handle on, with very kind of confusing uh, lingo and terminology about what it is that people were, were fighting about. There were also particularly a kind of, uh, a level of kind of viciousness of the online of personal attacks, of bomb threats, a, um, of any manner of accusations flinging back and, and forth. And I sort of tried to distance myself a little bit uh, from it. But because the Battle of Ideas has a particularly strong reputation for doing discussions around free speech and I, your ideas and being a place where people can really kind of compete and tussle over the important issues. A lot of people who were involved in these discussions were telling me, you really have to pay attention to what's going on here. This is actually a huge struggle uh, between cultural tribes, between the issue of free expression and free speech going on around the culture, around gaming, comic books, kind of traditional areas of kind of subcultures um, have now become the kind of big flashpoint. So I thought it'd be kind of interesting to try and work out what was uh, going on in that debate. Uh, it sort of seems less like the sort of pamphlet wars, more like the Tumblr wars uh, that we're trying to <laughs> unpick um, these days, with a kind of almost like a new language to try and understand uh, what's going on. And so, as a result of that, I, uh, I met Alan and also met uh, Milo, I was aware of Milo, and I thought that I wanted to have at least the opportunity to, for one of the kind of sides in that debate to uh, try and explain themselves. Now, if you know anything about the issue um, and the kind of politics of geek culture at the moment, you know that once you get one side of the debate there, it's very difficult to get the other side there without having to have SWAT teams uh, in the middle of them. And so what I thought would be more interesting in that regard was to let them, uh, Alan and Milo, try and explain why they think that uh, uh, the issues around Gamergate and the issues raised by it, because I don't really want to talk about the particular ins and outs of that spat, which is kind of uh, well recorded online, but all of the issues that have been raised around the politics of kind of culture. Um, and then I thought I'd get three people who I, I know who, are, who, consider, who consider themselves to be liberal, anti-censorship, who have been involved in a lot of these ongoing discussions, who could at least try to understand where it sits contextually within the kind of history of the culture wars, whether where struggles around media effects theory or film. And that's the nature of how we're going to do this debate. So if you're going to sort of look at this and go, oh, it doesn't feel like a very representative panel, then fine. You're entitled to your opinion, but I don't really... I'm not going to apologise too much to it, because I think there's an important issue that I want to try and understand in its own terms, and you're very welcome to have your say when we go out to the floor. Just to briefly introduce a, uh, the panel, I've sat to my uh, immediate left, Milo Yiannopoulos, is that the correct way of saying Close enough. Close enough. <laughs> Normally I just say Milo and people generally start screaming at me, so I've never found out <laughs> what the appropriate way of saying the surname is. Um, he's well known to many as a very outspoken uh, technology journalist, currently the uh, technology editor at Breitbart, so the online magazine, um, and it's, it's pretty much a a walking trigger warning in today's kind of sort of context that he is uh, I, I, under, you know, kind of people do like him or they kind of sort of loathe him but they often want to have an argument with him which is kind of a good setting for somebody speaking at the, uh, the Battle of Ideas. Uh, to my far left 
Uh, we have Alan Bakari, who's also a journalist for Breitbart, and he's the person who actually kind of suggested that we should do this discussion. He was the one who actually kind of set out a very persuasive case to me that this was an issue really worth trying to kind of explore through the kind of prism of free expression and free debate. So I'm delighted that he's also on the panel. Um, sat uh, between them, wearing the uh, rather fetching hats, we have Serena Kaczynski, who is the digital editor of Prospect uh, magazine, who are one of the media partners for this festival and this uh, uh, session in particular, and is a, a specialist in, in digital culture, but also writes quite extensively around arts, philosophy, uh, ideas. To my uh, immediate right, we have Dr. Maureen Tom, who is a researcher in film at Queen Mary University and has a, a long background in debates over artistic expression uh, in an international context. Um, she's also an avid video gamer, which I've known Maureen for a couple of years, but I didn't realise until very recently. So as soon as she said that, I said, you must speak of this panel. I'm so delighted she's uh, agreed to do that. And then to my uh, far right, I have Jason Walsh, who is the foreign correspondent the Christian Science Monitor newspaper. Um, just to note, that doesn't necessarily indicate that he's a Christian or a scientist. It demonstrates that he's or a journalist. And he's, he's written kind of quite extensively for a long period of time, publishing online, uh, uh, he used to publish an online magazine called Fourth, and he's written a lot on uh, culture and the arts. And also, he's from West Belfast, so I thought if anyone can handle a good sectarian scrap, <laughs> it would be Jason Walsh. Uh, so that's the panel. So I've just asked them to kind of really kind of give us a kind of short kind of initial kind of burst to set out their uh, position, particularly from Milo and Alan, and I'll kind of get, let the panel respond, and I'll throw it open to you uh, in the audience. So, Milo, why don't you? Sure. Um, I, I actually, I think Alan would be the better person to give a sort of general critical background, because I have a particular view on this, and I think he's probably the person who can give a, a fairer appraisal of a sort of intellectual and cultural background to the, to the row, and then I can give you my take on mm -hmm. it, if that makes more sense. Yep. Do, you, do you mind Yeah, that? if you want to do it that way, right? Fine by me. There have always been uh, political battles over culture throughout history, especially the 20th century. Uh, and although they often, the two, the two sides in these battles often take very different names, they always divide into two very clear ideological groups. You always have one group that sees human beings as corruptible or fragile in some way that will be affected by negative messages in the culture, and you'll also have another group that tends to disagree with them. Uh, so, you know, it's, you've got control freaks. You tend to have control freaks on one side and libertarians on the other. Uh, increasingly, the term that's being used to de describe this divide is cultural libertarian and cultural authoritarian. Uh, so if you look back to the early 20th century, you see uh, prohibitionists, who uh, argued that alcohol was leading to uh, all sorts of negative effects of society, poverty, uh, violence, uh, and they call themselves part of the progressive movement. Uh, you go into the 1960s and you see uh, conservatives arguing that uh, rock and roll is corrupting youth and um, leading to juvenile delinquency. And that was portrayed as a battle between liberals and conservatives. And that went on right up to the 1990s with uh, accusations that rap lyrics led to youth violence and so on. Um, and again, that was also seen as a battle between left and right uh, more recently, uh, with the battle over geek culture, we, we see arguments that scientists' shirts lead to uh, discrimination, sexism, that uh, video games can contribute to rape culture. Uh, so again, there's this idea that uh, human beings can be influenced by culture negatively, that if culture isn't tightly policed, that it'll cause people to do bad things. And in this case, it's not conservatives and liberals, as it was in the 1960s. It's more uh, progressives on one side and what, uh, what's now being called cultural libertarians on the other side. That's, and that's more or less what's, what, what's, what we're seeing at the moment in battles like Gamergate and Sad Puppies and all the other disagreements over geek culture. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you did that. That's exactly what I was hoping for. Um, <laughs> I'm not your typical defender of basement-dwelling nerds. I grew up in the countryside with horses and shotguns and went to a nice grammar school and never really imagined that I would have very much in common with, with gamers. But I was drawn into this, and Alan doesn't, doesn't do himself enough credit, firstly for not... Um, uh, admitting he was the one who invented the term cultural libertarian, so you should probably admit, admit to that. Uh, and s- secondly, he's the one who got me into this row, so anybody who's really particularly upset that I now have something to say about video games, it's his fault. Um, <laughs> I got drawn into this because I saw it um, in the terms that he describes, but also um, as part of a larger war on men and on male spaces, male culture, things that men enjoy, and of largely fact-free, intersectional, third-wave, feminist-driven uh, campaign against the sort of things that men like to do. And this is a campaign that was completely allergic to free speech, completely allergic to open and free inquiry and debate, completely allergic to freedom of, of creativity and of thought, um, that was inventing uh, grievances and crimes against itself to shut down debate, that was refusing to allow its opponents the same credit that it gave itself, that was lying about its opponents. And I, this is a classic story for me. You know, This is an, a, a marginalized, underprivileged community, gamers, who don't necessarily have the best social capital in the world, the right hates them, the left hates them, everybody seems to hate them. And they were being systematically lied about and criticised, derided, ridiculed. I see this as part of a, large, of a larger um, problem in culture. I th- and I'll, we'll talk, I'm sure, about my specific views on this. But the problem for me with, with Gamergate is that for so long, there, it has been completely acceptable in the media, on TV, in books, uh, everywhere you turn, to say absolutely anything about men. You can call men misogynistic crybabies. You can call them man babies. You can uh, start to erode and attack male safe spaces, which are very poorly understood and don't look like the sorts of safe spaces that that um, leftists want. But they are male safe spaces all the same. And it's now become completely acceptable to simply lie and to invent threats against yourself in order to to bash and bully men. And something went wrong in in video game co- uh, writing a while ago, which is that the, this became the orthodoxy in games journalism. It became um, a view that was not challenged in any of the main gaming publications. And ordinary gamers who for the don't believe the statistics about games being 50% female and male they're not uh, you, ha- you have to do some you have to include things like Candy Crush to, to get to those sorts of statistics and these, these games don't, don't generate their own culture so they're completely irrelevant you know gaming as far as you know Grand Theft Auto and Call of Duty it is overwhelmingly male and there's nothing wrong with that um, it's also however an overwhelmingly and extraordinarily diverse community of people you know transgender people black people uh, gay people vastly overrepresented in gaming which is is why the left has had such trouble pinning any allegations on, on gamers. What I saw, as I say, is, is these people being lied about for, and, and they had been lied about for, for a decade, standing up. They were the first group to stand up to the cultural authoritarians that Alan mentioned. They were the first group to say, hang on, the allegations you're making about us are not true. Um, the claims you make about the effect culture can have on uh, the way that people behave in real life have no basis in fact, or, or at most the science is still out, the jury is out. Yet we've, we, we, yet we've wandered as a result of the sort of entrenchment of progressive values in popular media and in new media, and the result that everybody hates gamers, into a position where it was okay to call millions of people misogynistic, abusive, harassing uh, losers. 
And I thought that wasn't fair. So I've stood up for these guys. I've found them to be the, some of the smartest, most interesting, most remarkable and creative people I've ever met. Um, and for me, this is, as I said at the beginning, part of a larger war on men. And, and Gamergate was, was, a, was, was a response to that. And it's an exciting cultural libertarian pushback against that. Don't listen to the lies about you know death threats and rape threats. It's all a distraction tactic. What they don't want you to listen to, what they don't want you to hear, are free, open arguments about whether culture can damage it. It can damage people and can make people behave badly. The science suggests no. Okay. Mari? Um, so, yes, I'm here as a film academic and a person who games a lot and not Candy Crush, I can tell you that. <laughs> um, so, as Milo said, this debate is really complex and probably part of a greater symptom of contemporary politics. And I would like to make like two points, which I will expand on. Uh, so I think there is something new about this debate, and there's something new about uh, personal identity and what it means to be a geek and why people self-identify as geeks. And this battle over geek culture, as it says in the blurb, often looks like a turf war over this identity. And I think there's something new about the level of intolerance around the arguments around geek culture, and these two points are very much connected, I think. So, as it says in the blurb, geek culture and gamer identity, so they have become quite mainstream. And many people choose to self-identify as geeks. Uh, the idea of geeks as identity makes part of your private life, part of your public persona. And your fantasy life is a big part of who you are. So you can see this in things like avatars and cosplay and Comic-Con and such. So in a way, uh, geek culture is a new dimension of the idea of identity and the politics of identity. Being geeky means you admit to your social awkwardness and powerlessness, but at the same time, uh, this is counterbalanced with specialist knowledge and a certain self-awareness. So assuming geek identity has become a useful persona for people who otherwise may not have access to identity. And I think people like Chris Hardwick or Felicia Day or Will Wheaton, they're really good examples of this. And people who know who I'm talking about, they will get it. So a geek persona can be used to demonstrate conspicuously your awareness of your own privilege and render it harmless. So, but when geeks, and I think gamers especially, are seen to be unironically enjoying what are felt to be un-PC fantasies, they're called out as behaving unethically. And, you know, if someone is seen as behaving unethically, to others they've crossed the line and they're not harmless anymore. And this, I would say, is a fairly new intolerance uh, towards people's fantasies and ultimately what is, what is at the heart over this battle over geek culture. And along with this, some really old academic ideas on the nature of representation and ideology, things like oppressive gays and so on, they've become really visible again and really central to how things like games and fantasies are understood. Fantasies are equated uh, with the realities of the people who have them. And because a lot of geeks identify strongly with their fantasy as part of their identity, the battles over these new moral imperatives are fought most fundamentally in the battle over gay culture. So what I would argue is that this whole debate is far too invested in fantasy. And this is, I think, symptomatic of today in that a lot of political thinking is essentialist. It understands individuals as defined or trapped by a particular identity or a set of ideas or a position of privilege 
or language, or whatever you want to call it. I don't care. Um, so I really enjoy this debate in that there are so many who are willing, de willing to defend their fantasy lives and, you know, all power to your elbow. And I think this debate needs to be seen as part of a greater cultural battle over the right to have private fantasies and to have really difficult ideas. Great. Jason. Yeah. Morin has stolen some of my thunder, I'm afraid. But, you know, David opened talking about generation gaps, and looking down this panel, I've realised I'm the oldest person on it, which is the first time this has ever happened to me. But I suppose that's a good thing. I better get used to the future, you know, the inevitable sad decline. I also feel a huge generation gap talking about Gamergate because I'm a thing called a reporter. Um, that's the opposite of an activist, by the way. And I work for something called a newspaper. Don't worry, they won't be around. You don't need to know what they are. Though I am branching into television, which also won't be around. I'm also a sad puppy because I know what sad puppies are. I wish I didn't. I won't kill myself, though, because I've forgotten what their opponents are called. I don't really care what people like to do at all. I don't care at all. Um, if they want to play games, that's fine. I've played video games myself. I'm just old enough to have grown up with them. Games criticism. I don't know if Milo's right that it's the absolute orthodoxy in games criticism, but I know what he's talking about when he says there's been a, a kind of sea change and a step change in it, and I also kind of know why it's happening. I remember a number of years ago, um, Morrissey, the dreadful singer, was exposed by the enemy, not as dreadful, but as a fascist, and eventually one of the journalists copped to the fact that they were just bored writing about music and accusing him of fascism made them feel like grown-up proper reporters. Identity is... What's at play here? And to me, I think identity is poison. Identity politics is poison. Um, I think that male identity, men's rights, I'm hoping not, I'm not going to, I'm not in seeking to offend anyone, is, is as much poison as any other form of identity politics. I think that identity is the opposite of agency and it's the opposite of subjectivity and acting in the world. I just wish that we would focus more on how we act in the world rather than how we represent ourselves. So these debates around ownership of geek culture or ownership of any other form of subculture I find extremely dispiriting, even though I can see why they're occurring. I, I think that we need to... Well, I mean, it's certainly true that people are getting an unfair hearing in the press. There's been no question about that. But I wish that people would move away from uh, feeling the need to define themselves by these activities and get out and, uh, sorry, by these identities and instead go out and act in the world. I'm sorry if that seems a little abstract. Uh, Serena. Uh, yeah, well, when I was thinking about this debate and uh, thinking about the themes and not being so deeply involved in the culture as uh, these two or two lovely gentlemen surrounding me, um, I started thinking about, you know, what is a geek, what is a nerd, why is a geek different to a nerd these days, you know, when I think about geek, the traditional image that still pops into my mind when I was growing up was sort of spectacles, pimples, hung out in a science lab, basically, when you were trying to be, you know, when you were trying to be cool at school, everything you aspired not to be. You might have had respect for sort of Albert Einstein and Alan Turing, but you didn't really want to grow up to be them. But these days, obviously, I've had to sort of readjust my cultural settings and realise that the geeks have inherited the earth, which is fine. I can cope with the idea of the uncool kids finally getting their Heather-style moment of glory. Uh, I can even handle the images of them spending their billions of tech dollars buying street cred at festivals like Burning Man and Coachella. But 
and this is where I'd like to sort of pick on Milo, and someone probably has to. Uh, there's one thing terribly amiss with this whole picture, and it's, you know, the sexism issue, isn't it, really? And the geeks are now the kings of the world. They're the kings, but where the hell are the queens? And why is... <laughs> very much to be a fortress of sexism to carry on the sort of kingdom analogy. Are, are girls really genetically bad at gaming? I mean, I used to actually think I was when I desperately was stabbing away at Tony Hawk and, and all my male friends were laughing at me uh, at university. Um, but, you know, is the Candy Crush Hall of Fame the dizzying heights that we can only ever hope to ascend to? And, and is it really not that good a game? I mean, it's a pretty good game. People like to play it, people get obsessed with it. The Prime Minister plays it, for God's sakes. I think it counts. Is comic book humour distinctly male as well? You know, or is, again, is that another myth that we've sort of been forced to swallow? Or is there something more sinister lurking beneath the surface of this world full of slightly awkward men, many of whom lack a few basic social skills? Uh, uh, is it that the, are these the boys, let's be honest, who never got the girls, and now they want to keep them out of their fortress for as long as is humanly possible. Gamergate is obviously the most extreme and terrible and worrying example of sexism in this culture. And I'm not saying that the rest of society is perfect and geek culture is, this, you know, is worse, but there does seem to be more worrying evidence of this in, within geek culture than within other subcultures that I've noticed. <laughs> Uh, to go back, I mean, if you look at, it's everywhere, like look at the comic book heroes, look at the superheroes, right? Superheroes are all mega buff, a fetishised image of masculinity, which appeals mainly to men, really, how they think you should look. Big biceps, that kind of thing. I mean, it doesn't turn me on, I don't know about anyone else. And their female counterparts, well, they usually conform to the stereotype, don't they? Big bums, big boobs, collagen lips. I mean, has anyone here seen Superwoman's ass? Like, that is, uh, is amazing. It's amazing. But is it realistic? Uh, 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 uh. Would she look like that after she'd been scaling lots of buildings? I don't think so. It seems that most male comic book artists still dream of doing it with Jessica Rabbit. There's a few positive signs. There are more female comics. There are more women in gaming. And I don't want to come across as your boring, you know, moany feminist, okay? I don't. But the point is... You're doing such a good job. Well, we can't, we can't have another game again. It cannot happen again. Women cannot be, a woman cannot be forced from her home to go and couch surf because of terrible death threats over the internet. And the internet is partly to blame as much as gaming culture. And that's something I think we should actually discuss further. But yes, we need to make sure that female geeks feel welcome and comfortable in their online and offline spaces. Okay, hey, uh, thanks. I, I, Milo wants to, to jump in, and before we do that, I, d I just want to put a kind of question to all of you, but you can feel free to, to begin. Because what I found striking about the reaction around gaming, I can understand that there's a, a desire to have some kind of pushback to what people perceive as being a kind of... Uh, a censorious attitude towards what they, they do in their private life. I mean, that's happened in, in a lot of other kind of art forms. And kind of, you know, there's been a, schools of kind of criticism that have criticised lots of kind of other arts. And I can understand that gamers want to kind of push back against that and say, you know, I don't necessarily think I'm a scumbag because I like to, you know, to play kind of violent games or, or kind of whatever. But it does seem to me that there's been quite a lot of hostility towards critics in this, which kind of makes me a bit 
nervous because that sort of says to me this is not kind of just a kind of straightforward political, you know, stay out of my kind of private life thing, that there's a kind of real hostility to somebody like Sarkeesian attempting to do a feminist critique, which you can agree with, you can disagree with, but it seems to me that there is a kind of viciousness and hostility which is unhealthy, which in a way feels like a you-can't-say-that kind of reaction. It seems to be just as kind of touchy um, a, a PC as the side that have been criticised. But that may just be my, uh, my own prejudice. I don't know. I mean, what do you think, my line? Well, the... the one of the most ridiculous myths in the world is that the gaming and tech industries are in some way hostile to women. They're simply not. It's a ridiculous claim. Um, you know, that women and minorities are overrepresented in every Silicon Valley startup, uh, you know, beyond a certain uh, level of funding. They are overrepresented in the gaming industry everywhere and at all levels. Um, the fact is, however, that some of these hobbies are male dominated, and there is nothing wrong with that. Um, if something appeals predominantly to men, that's okay. And if there are boobs and bombs and, you know, and explosions in them, that's fine too. It doesn't make doesn't turn people into um, into serial killers, and it doesn't turn people into sexists either. The video games press did a really good job of defending video games against allegations that they uh, created school shooters in the 90s when the re religious right was coming after games. But it's done a terrible job of defending it against wacky feminists who say that video games can don't make you violent, or but they might make you sexist, um, which is an even more ridiculously implausible claim. Now, it's difficult to know where to go with you because. Um, <laughs> Uh, look, you, you mentioned a lot of things. I mean, Candy Crush, the point, the point that I made about Candy Crush is it doesn't have a culture around it. There is no Candy Crush culture. There's no Candy Crush community. There's no culture? specific kind of person or, you know, it's not built into the product. There is no, there is no way, you know, in, in, a, in a live action sort of role-playing game or, or an online whatever, you ha you're speaking to the people you're playing with. You're talking to them at the same time. There's that shit-talking culture which does develop a, sometimes a very sort of male, aggressive kind of style. But the fact is it's a, it's a you know, it's a hobby primarily for men. My experience of doing this for a year and you... Um, uh, you know, you admitted this isn't really your area, so I hope that you, will, if you do choose to look into this, you'll come around to my way of thinking on this, which is, you, you, you did sound like one of those, those boring feminists. You did sound like one of those people who's, who treats this, you know, as a sort of sexist issue without really understanding anything about it, without having ever spoken to a gamer without ever having played a video game. Now, were you to do that, which is what I've been doing for the last year, you would discover that actually the men who play this stuff, by and large, are some of the nicest, sweetest, um, you know, most sensitive, intelligent, creative people around. And when you fell into those sneering, nasty stereotypes, which I was vulnerable to before, and I've realized are not, tr realized are not true... Um, you know about uh, you know about men who didn't get the girl. Well, no, many of them didn't get the girl, and as a result, feeling marginalised and feeling um, you know they weren't hugely socially confident. Some of them retreated into video games. Now. It is a uniquely sociopathic feminist approach to, to take, you know, the path of least resistance and attack men where they're easiest to get, which is sci-fi, comics, and gaming, because those men are the ones you can get to. No, no athlete is going to give a toss if you accuse him of being a sexist. He'll just laugh at you. But gamers take it to heart. They take it really seriously. And to address your point about, you know, the, the extraordinary explosion of feeling on this, you have to understand this is over a decade of gaming culture being bullied and derided and ridiculed by critics who don't know what they're talking about um, and by their own games press. You know, these people felt like nobody had their backs and they felt like that for a decade. And when you then get into that, in that environment, in comes a feminist critic who lobs grenades over the wall and then cries foul when people even criticise her methods, not call her names, not um, send threats of any kind, but even dare 
to ask whether she might be cherry-picking data, because, of course, she always is, whether she might be painting an unfair picture of a game or, or deliberately excluding other examples, which, of course, she always does. You know, it's a highly partisan, cherry-picked, disreputable academic method that was protected um, by credulous games journalists with almost no criticism, n- almost no... Uh, honest critical analysis anywhere at all ever and gamers had had enough and you know when these professional uh, provocateurs come in and throw bombs over the wall and then when they get the slightest bit of criticism cry foul and suddenly claim their victims this is what i mean by quantum superstate feminism if you read any of my columns you know it, it exists simultaneously as aggressor and victim um, and when you behave like this you are going to get some people who say unpleasant things because you deserve it you are a professional provocateur that's what you do for a living you cannot cry you cannot cry victim when you have gone in and called people the most appalling names um, you know, in, in many cases, calling marginalised people terrible names, and some of them, you know, responding kind. If we have created an atmosphere, which I think we have, just look at the Guardian, look at Jezebel, look at any, you know, Vox, Buzzfeed, Gawker, Mike, any of these new media publications. They say the most appalling things about straight white men. They say it's the lowest, 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 lowest difficulty setting of life. You know, if you create that environment, some men are going to snap, and I don't blame them for that. Okay, before we venture off too much into to men's kind of rights... One, that's one not a men's rights argument. I'm not a men's rights activist. I don't have skin in the game. I don't care. I mean, I don't care about men and women having sex with another. I'm gay. I don't give a shit. Um, you know, I don't, I don't really care what feminists look like. I don't care how fat they get. I'm never going to want to have sex with them anyway. I'm not a men's rights activist. Oh, uh, yeah, so Dave, you mentioned that there's sort of a political correctness in the way some people approach uh, feminist critics. Uh, I wouldn't say that's the case, and I think to say that Gamergate is anti-feminist is oversimplified. Uh, there are some feminists that uh, have command extraordinary respect among gamers. Uh, Christina Hoff Summers from the American Enterprise Institute, uh, which might be in the audience, I think. Liana Kersner, the Canadian uh, feminist gaming critic, so this idea that they're hostile to all feminist gaming critics is also uh, not entirely accurate. Kathy Young, uh, Louise Mensch, these, all ident- these people who identify as feminists, and they've attracted wide support amongst gamers. The other thing that gets confused in the, uh, in the uh, debate is this idea that um, hostility towards feminists equals hostility towards women. It's just, that's not true. I mean, uh, certainly Anita Sarkeesian attracts a lot of hostility for some of the arguments she makes. That's not, a, that's not a woman thing. It's to do with the particular type of argument she's making, which is that games corrupt people. So there was a male evangelical Christian uh, called Jack Thompson who made very similar arguments that games lead to violence and all these negative effects on society, and he attracted basically the same level of hostility from gamers. This idea that, that um, women are underrepresented in geek culture, I don't care. You know, it's because it's... I don't follow this idea that um, you only identify with something if you recognise yourself. It might be true, but I don't recognise myself as a woman. I love Superman and his big muscles because I can identify with that. I'm a strong person. You know, I don't, I don't need woman who looks realistic or something like this. This is, this is a very, very limited way of understanding people and how they identify with what they, with a, how they identify with their fantasies. They don't need to identify over their some sort of born identity or their skin color or something like this. You identify with characters because they speak to you. And I love identifying with male characters. That doesn't mean I have, you know, I adopt the male gaze. That's a nonsense idea and has been, um, well, I could talk ages about this idiot idea. But so, you know, yes, maybe there's a lot of bizarre creatures lurking around in the fantasy world and there are lots of male um, supermans and superwomens, but of course there are. 
you know, why wouldn't you? I would, you create your fantasy in a sort of better version of yourself. And they look better than, you know, you don't want a realistic version of yourself. That's horrible. <laughs> so, but, you know, because you know who you are. It doesn't, I don't buy into this idea that the feminist argument is, oh, we need more representation. You know, I can identify with anything that speaks to me as a human being. The question to Milo and Alan, I mean, so are you saying there is no misogyny in the gaming? Nobody's in, ever claimed in, that. In gaming culture? Nobody's ever claimed that. But do, I, do you uh, in your opinion... No, I think it's a no. There's problem. no widespread problem. No, there's no widespread no problem. Widespread. There's no significant problem. There, there are a couple of fringe people. There are a couple of fringe people in every community. You, um, you know, look on the Labour backbenches. You can find some really nasty woman haters on the Labour. You know, among among the uh, old guard Labour MPs, it exists everywhere. It's not a particular problem in gaming. Well, actually, you know, whatever you think of Jeremy Corbyn, at least he's actually ostensibly taking action to counteract that. The point is, if there yeah, is a segregated problem, train carriages yeah, taking us in the direction of Saudi Arabia. Great. <laughs> Shadow cabinet is female. Whether they're in the top jobs or not, that's a totally different discussion. But there is there is uh, progressive action being taken to counterbalance a, pro a problem. Admitting that there is a problem, even if it's not widespread, the problem requires a solution. No, we're saying we're saying there is not. It's not the case that there is no, no misogyny, but it is the case there is no problem. Yeah, the, ne the, the next time the questions come down this way, I want to speak before Maureen because she keeps saying what I'm going to say. So <laughs> say something else instead, which is. I was. I do some reporting for French television, and someone tried to carjack me a couple of weeks ago. I don't think Grand Theft Auto caused that problem. <laughs> no, there's a serious point here, um, because there's always been a car theft problem. It's where I grew up, and there was, Grand Theft Auto didn't exist then, car theft did. The reason they tried to carjack me is because you can't steal a car anymore. You can't hotwire it with the immobilizer. I don't believe in media effects theory, therefore I don't care if games are sexist. Maybe they are. I'm not interested. Um, I don't think that this, watching The Thing is means that I'm going to end up in Antarctica, um, freezing to death while I stare at someone. Games journalism and games criticism. Games, if games aspire to be an art form, like painting or cinema or anything else, they're going to have to be subjected to criticism, including awful criticism by academics, whose criticism is always awful because they're awful people. <laughs> I'm doing a PhD. <laughs> I, I, I understand why it upsets people, and I think that when subcultures become mainstream, they become vulnerable to, to attack, and they feel vulnerable when they're attacked, but um, I, I am slightly disturbed by the fact that we're living in a culture of, of victimhood and aggression, and I don't think there's anything new in people who claim to be victims also being aggressors at the same time. I would ask, why is it, that one of the, just to bring it back to geek culture, I don't, it's very disturbing to me that people who self-identify as geeks, you know, if you like things that are considered geeky by wider society, that's fine. I mean, it's your business, it's nobody else's. But we have a situation now where people are self-identifying as having a neurological condition, self-diagnosing as having a neurological condition. I don't think that's healthy. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find out more about our podcasts and to subscribe to them, visit instituteofideas.com forward slash podcast.